You're listening to China Africa Talk. Jambo ni Bridget akikuletea kipindi kinachohusiana na China na Africa. Vous écoutez le dialogue sino-africain avec Bridget. Everything China, everything Africa. Olá, você está ouvindo China Africa Talk com Bridget. Sayidati wa sadati, marhaban bikum. Fi al-hawar al-siniy al-arabi ma'a Bridget. A pleasant listening to you from wherever you are tuned in, be it in Africa or on your favorite podcast. You're listening to China Africa Talk and I'm your host Bridget Mutambirwa coming to you from the Chinese capital here in Beijing. In this episode, our two guests, Professor Liu Baocheng, Associate Dean with the Academy of Global Innovation and Governance and also Director at the Center of International Business Ethics with the University of International Business and Economics together with Dr. Lina Benabdala, Assistant Professor of Economics and International Affairs at Wake University, join us in a very informative discussion on the evolving party-to-party relations between the Chinese Communist Party, CPC, and African political parties. Please stay tuned and listen in. Professor Liu, what is the National CPC Congress and what are the main outcomes of the 20th CPC National Congress, which started on the 16th of October? Well, the uh, CPC stands for the Communist Party of China. China has one ruling party, which is the Communist Party of China, and they have been managing the country on a modernization drive. And then it's there to point to the future directions. At the same time, they reveal what has been achieved over the past five years and what is now the circumstances we are all facing, and then what are those major strategies this country is going to adopt. So, you know, it's supported by the, what is called the double session, which is the National Congress and also the Political Consultative Congress. That is there to translate more of the Chinese strategies charted out by the Communist Party for implementation purposes. All right. And what is the significance of this Congress to China's development from where you stand? Well, yes. Uh, every five years, China uh, has a big Congress like this because the membership of the Congress will have to change every five years. And now the report by the CPC is there to chart out future development, which is there to include how we can really strive for a common prosperity and how China can really achieve a new type of the modernization, which includes how we address the economy together with the climate change, how we implement the uh, global peace development program, and how we develop our education, our science, etc. So this is really there to set forth the grand goals, which is going to be translated to every ministries and every departments and also the local departments to follow. So it is really those functional organizations who are there to come up with the clear objective and clear timeline towards the goals that are mm. set forth. Professor Ben Abdallah, now how far do China-Africa relations go beyond when you put into context the party-to-party exchanges in China-Africa relations? Yes, thank you for the question. Party-to-party relations have been part of the China-Africa story for several decades now. 
We remember during the 1950s and 1960s, the CPC had been extremely close to several political parties in the African continent, especially parties that were revolutionary parties. So we can think about the FLN in Algeria or political parties throughout the continent that were essentially leading the revolutionary and wars of independence in their respective countries. So party-to-party relations have actually started in the aftermath of the Bandung Conference in 1955 when delegates from Egypt, from Ghana, from Algeria, several African countries were present at the meeting. Then, then contact with the CPC was made. Then we have been seeing party-to-party relations and the connections between the CPC and African political parties basically expanded. At the time, we have seen the CPC able to basically provide support to several of these revolutionary parties in the sense of essentially training party officials, given also international platform for the cause of these revolutions, so speaking for the revolution, the revolutionary wars that were going on, and trying to provide also material support to fight against colonial regimes at the time. So party-to-party relations have been always at the center of China-Africa relations, and they have endured the times, for instance, like the FLN or the ANC, right. that have had a long history of close ties to the CPC, are still enjoying those strong relations with the CPC today. So this is not something that is only present in time or in history, but we are seeing importance of party-to-party relations in China-Africa story today as well. Okay, what is the difference then and now? Well, let me take this question. In the 50s and in the the 60s until the end of the 70s, the party-to-party relationship was more filled with ideology and also to strengthen the South-South cooperation. And right now, over the past four decades, uh, particularly during the Chinese uh, form and open door policy, it is more on collective development programs. So, of course, it is there to have the economic development as the mainstay, and the aid program is also based on the capacity building and also to mm. proliferate from infrastructure to other type of industries. So these are really the major changes. Of course, now we're also yeah. looking at uh, you know how these countries can work together to build a common bargaining power towards climate change, for example, for the common but differentiated responsibility within the Paris Treaty, and also how we can really work together together to reduce tariff barriers and also collectively bargain with WTO, how they can really provide a safety belt for all the developing countries and also the lesser developed countries in Africa. Professor Linap from the African side, what is the difference now? Uh, actually, so I, I do agree with Professor Leo about this, the difference in terms of ideology. That's a point that I would make as well on the African side of African perspective of it. I will also say mm. that, of course, you know, the most basic difference is that in the 1950s and 60s, a lot of African countries were not even independent. A lot mm. of them were under colonialism. And what that means is that some of the political parties that were dealing with the CPC 
were not necessarily the main political parties. They were not the ruling political parties because mm. these countries were not even independent. So at some okay. point also we have to see that, you know, some of these parties became kind of the main political parties in their countries. It took a lot of recalibrating and to figure out what is China's relation to all of these political parties post-independence because not all of them were playing and leading the same role before independence and after independence, then that is not the case, of course, today. But there are a lot more political parties in Africa today than there were in the 1950s and 60s. So we also see here, really in the spirit of what Professor Leo mentioned about ideology, we see the CPC dealing more pragmatically with a whole host of political parties within the same country. For instance, China has, uh, or the CPC has, ties and connections to several political parties within Kenya and several political parties within South Africa and several political parties within Morocco and so on and so forth. And so it's not just the mm. one revolutionary party that we used to see kind of in that model of the 1950s and 60s just provide support to that one revolutionary parties. Now we see more pragmatic kind of relations of having connections and ties to multiple political parties within the same country. So we have political mm. parties in the African continent now. They're not looking for that support to fight against colonialism or that material support. They are looking at China's development success story. That's the mm. aspiration. So the aspiration has changed from looking at China and seeing a revolutionary party at the CPC that has achieved that revolutionary independence now they're looking at mm -hmm. the CPC for its development success. And that is the other difference, is that the connections, the relation there, what the aspiration is, has changed as well. Professor Liu? Uh, yes, I uh, very much agree uh, to my colleague. Uh, right now, when you really deal with China from uh, politics to business to uh, individuals, all we can say is that can we do business? You know, even the Communist Party are really leading the Chinese economic construction, so therefore it is really mm -hmm. the mainstay. But what we see in Africa, they do not only are there to possess the resources that China really need for its own construction, for its own export-driven economy, but we do look at the sustainable development in uh, African continent. So therefore, we understand that infrastructure construction is the basis for any type mm. of uh, industrialization and urbanization program that is badly needed in, in most part of the African continent. So therefore, China is probably the most dynamic player in the infrastructure projects across the mm -hmm. continent. And second is, you know, how we can really build the capacity in Africa. I'm very glad as an educator that uh, you know, I'm contributing to the friendship between China and Africa and also seeing the fruition of my educational efforts among those people. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Professor Liu, why are the next five years particularly important for China? 
What are your expectations from where you stand? That's a very good question. Uh, actually, China is really standing across the new type of threshold uh, because okay. we have successfully eliminated the extreme poverty all across the country. And next, we need to embark on a new journey for further modernization of this country. So there is a clear okay. goal that uh, by the end of this century, we are going to be a part of the developed world and for which. So we need to have a bigger turnaround in our growth model. And previously, it was really the economic speed that really mattered, but the quality of the economy, which mm -hmm. includes the of the environment, the quality of people's living standard. Uh, you know, when we were driving economic speed and efficiency, you know, people worked extremely hard, but now, you know, people need to work smart. Therefore, mm. for China, education, science and technology become the key instead of only, you know, the uh, people uh, are simply working hard on manual basis. So we are shifting from a labor-intensive industry more into a intellect or brain intensive industry and uh, mm -hmm. also that uh, we're going to have more more manufacturing from more of the resource driven one now into more innovation driven one so it is really a turning point and all chinese uh, businesses and individuals are really uh, very anxious to start on a new journey for a high quality development professor bin abdallah if I may take a quote from Xi Jinping's keynote speech in Beijing 2017, it says, open quotes, over the next five years, the CPC will invite political parties from around the world to send to China exchange visitors totaling 15,000 for more interactions. Going forward, the CPC will enhance exchanges at, with political parties of other countries to share practices of party building and enhancing state governance and conduct more exchanges and dialogue among civilizations so as to improve our strategic mutual trust. And that was Xi Jinping's keynote speech in Beijing 2017. Now, when we look at the party-to-party -party relations between CPC and African political parties, what do African countries stand to gain from participating in such workshops and likewise inviting Chinese delegations to visit their countries? What are the takes on both sides from your perspective? Yes, um, uh, thank you for yes. the question. Um, yes, I, th I think we are seeing, um, I'm not speaking about sort of COVID, um, but, but up until sort of the COVID time, of course, the speech you, you were quoting from was from 2017. We were seeing at the mm -hmm. time there's uh, an increase in terms of the numbers of the uh, political party-to-party -party delegation visits and party-to-party -party seminars and inviting political party representatives from different African countries to China under the international department of the CPC. The trend was actually increasing in the number of these delegation okay. visits. And the idea there is to increase and deepen the network, the tie exchange about the parties to increase understanding. So this would be, uh, from my senses, from um, Beijing side, what you will stand to gain 
is to have these networks, these relationships between elites and elites to enhance and uh, exchange um, uh, and enhance mutual understanding and knowledge about China and about Africa. On the African mm. side, these delegation visits and seminars, they are attractive because they are an opportunity to get a first-hand look into, for instance, questions of governance, questions of development, mm. questions of how did the CPC achieve this huge leadership role that was allowing it lift that many people out of poverty, just like Professor Liu was explaining. So China eradicated okay. extreme poverty from the country. And, not, and we're talking about the CPC. This is a party role. And so you have mm-hmm. political leaders and elites from different African political parties who are interested in learning about these things and learning about what the lessons learned, not necessarily how to take the, the, the model and copy it or how to, but in, in a way, just understanding how it worked in China. So there is mm-hmm. definitely an aspiration and something that's attractive about the CPC when it comes to its development leadership that is attractive to lots of African uh, political parties, members and elites. Mm-hmm. Professor Liu? Yes, I think uh, China is there to embrace uh, global peace, and there is uh, a very strong emphasis, and time and again we reiterate that China is not there to impose on anybody, but uh, invite our African friends to come and see, you know, this is really the footprint that we have created over the right. past 40 years, and China is also very open you guys and see how our lessons and our success stories can really fit your development. And the other is that uh, how we can really maintain uh, social justice while maintaining social stability at the same time to promote multilateralism. So you can see that when United States come into play, they normally come uh, with a very thick rule book. Uh, you know, this, you guys have got to be obligated to do this, this and that. And there are many tech lines uh, in, uh, and even political con- uh, conditions imposed. But uh, China's way is that, OK, let's consult with each other. So if you look at the Belt and Road program so far, we do not have a thick book. If we are really to build the more of a memo of understanding, it's more of a flexibility and pragmatism based on the projects mm-hmm. that both sides feel comfortable and feel it's a win-win program. So it's a conciliation efforts and only by working together between governments, between parties, can really come to a consensus that mutually comfortable. And the other is how we can really work together to deepen our knowledge because China mm-hmm. is also learning. So therefore, you know, we need to learn. It's not a one-way traffic. We need to learn, you know, how Africans preserve their culture how Africans govern their local communities on a successful basis. So only by transcending the frequency of contact, only by dialogue and by paying respect to each other, we can really achieve mm. a more of a positive sum game together. How about on the issue of modernization? What is the Chinese-style modernization that has been mentioned many times? I, I, I keep hearing modernization, modernization. What is Chinese-style modernization? Yes, we can understand there were two versions of modernization. Actually, since okay. the 50s, China raised the concept of full modernization, which includes agriculture, industry, national defense, 
and science and technology. But yeah. that was more on the hard power that China wanted to enhance. But now when Xi Jinping's version is that uh, we need to have a holistic approach to modernization by taking consideration of the environmental impact, by okay. taking consideration of social harmony, and more importantly, mm -hmm. the quality of the Chinese people's life. So that's more mm -hmm. of a balanced approach. It's not only the, you know, uh, the infrastructure, but uh, it's also the social governance and social harmony that are more mm -hmm. important. And also, this also includes our multilateralism, how we can work with okay. our friends from Africa, from Latin America, from many other countries to construct mm -hmm the notion of peace, of a mm. common development, instead of uh, having grudges or you know antagonism. And then how can we get united together to fight against mm. trade protectionism, social mm. injustice that put place the global order onto a more equitable basis? What new goals, tasks, and new requirements has the 20th CPC National Congress set out for China's foreign affairs? What new changes and new actions will there be in China's foreign affairs? Well, in the Chinese foreign affairs, China mm -hmm. does see that the world is getting more complex with more of the power rivals between those big nations. So China stands very firm against imperialism, against hegemony, and China is there to defend the global peace and are willing to work together with lesser developed countries to reduce the Chinese import tariff and to go for the more of the human development. And then the other is to contribute more to the Chinese solutions in terms of the global governance and then address the current challenges of the COVID, of some extreme weather, etc. And China is ready to help and do their own way to work with friends around the world for a common but a win-win result. Professor Ben Abdallah, how about now? Are there any new opportunities that the 20th CPC National Congress will bring to Africa and other developing countries? Yeah, I mean, African countries and developing countries are watching, basically, trying to figure out what the post-COVID cooperation with China would look like. There are lots of programs and students, for instance, exchanges that were basically put on hold due to COVID uh, and the COVID measures. And I think that that's the number mm. one thing that most African countries and especially looking at students and looking at the programs where students would uh, used to go and be able to travel back and forth, as well as business people and, and tourists and so on and so forth from that sort of people-centered perspective. I think there is definitely a sense of waiting to see what comes out of the party congress. Are there going to be announcements about new regulations or about easing the access to China or maybe resuming the people-centered activities of students being able to travel to China and business people being able to travel to China. So I think there is definitely a sense of trying to see what the 20th Party Congress will bring in terms of these, these issues that were kind of put on hold since mm. the pandemic. Okay. I think uh, one immediate task is that, uh, you know, many of these African countries are facing difficulties in paying their debts. So China is mm. one of the creditors and how we can really resolve the debt issue 
issues and by, mm -hmm. uh, for example, waiver some of the debt for those uh, least developed countries. And that's something mm -hmm. that's very realistic. And number two is how China can really work along the Belt and Road Program to build a closer tie with some of the African countries. Uh, for example, how we can really strike a free trade agreement. Now, you know, China has a free trade agreement with Emeritus, but uh, you know, are we going to have more free trade agreements? And third is mm. that uh, how we can really put more of the BRI program, the Belt and Road program, onto a more value and uh, rule-based ones. So these are really mm. something that uh, uh, China is really looking forward to, and that's there to help us to build a better governance over the Belt and Road program, and also to have a better collective bargaining power against some of the developer world for better aid and better contribution to the development of Africa. Okay. Just before we round up, I wanted to know from both of you, what your impression of here at CPC National Congress? Yeah, uh, from my side, the key word is still the high quality development. It's really a holistic and balanced approach, forward-looking development program that is not only there to benefit the Chinese people, but also mm -hmm. to benefit the true multilateralism around the world for justice, democracy, and efficiency. Mm. That brings us to the end of the program. I'd like to thank Professor Liu and Professor Lina for joining us in this discussion of the CPC and its evolving relations with African political parties. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Post it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time.